6. We found last week with respect to Jehu, uh, he had lied saying that, you know, Ahab served, God, served, served Baal a little, I will serve Baal much. So he brought all the Baal worshipers together into one place. He had uh, a Rechabite there and uh, Jonadab, the, the Rechabite, and they slew all the Baal worshipers. Unfortunately, in doing so, by lowering his integrity, that was one of his many compromises. Here in 2 Kings, uh, we find that Jehu really was a double talk. Uh, Jehu was a politician through and through. He had a lot of selfish ambitions. Uh, he went too far. He killed not only Ahab and his family, but he killed the associates of Ahab and uh, reaped tremendous heartache. Uh, he, would he would kill a lot of those who had on the job training. He would kill the people with the, the wisdom of the nation. Uh, if they had any association with Ahab, they were killed. Even those, uh, as we had mentioned, there was a, a group of people that were just going to, to the place where Ahab was, and he killed them. And uh, so Jehu was a man that was really very bloodthirsty and uh, ready to revenge all uh, things and he went way beyond what God told him to do. And Second Kings chapter ten, verse twenty-nine. Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them. To wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel, now were in Dan. The Lord said unto Jehu, <clears throat> Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab, according to all that was in my heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. Now, I want you to think about that, that he's, there's continually a remembrance of Jeroboam's sin. Now, in your life, you leave a legacy for your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on and so forth. Jeroboam's legacy in the word of God was a compromiser, religious idolater, and, Jehu, and all the kings of the northern kingdom are referred back as the father Jeroboam. That is not a very nice legacy. You could ask the question, what is our legacy? What will people, when they think about my life, what will be the legacy that has been left? going on. In those days, the Lord began to cut Israel short, and Hazael smote them in all the coasts of Israel. For jo from Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, even Gilead and Basham. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehu slept with his fathers. And they buried him in Samaria, and Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. And the time that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. So things quiet down. He reigns for 28 years. He's continually referred back to the ways of Jeroboam. Yes, he had killed a whole bunch of Baal worshippers in an act of what he thought was appropriate, but it, you know, he did it in such a horrible way. You know, the calves were to be only symbols of Jehovah, but it was idolatry just the same, and in spite of his zeal for the Lord, Jehu was an idolater at heart. Now what he does, and he does like some Christians do, they'll use the name of the Lord to cover up their idolatry. And that's exactly what Jehu's doing. He tries to spiritualize 
his idolatry of his heart. He wanted what he wanted, and, and he was in a, in a fashion, you know, and he was like, well, I'm part of this national religion, and so he goes forth. But yet he was so bloodthirsty. He united the people, gained their respect, but he was a politician. Now, he had been commended for the work that he had done. You know, in verse 30, thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes. So he did do some things right. He was succeeded by Jehoahaz, Joash, Jeroboam, and Zechariah, all of whom were bad kings. Jehu does not leave a good legacy to his children. But the Lord announced to the prophet Hosea that he was displeased with him. In Hosea chapter 1, let's look with me here in Hosea about this King Jehu. In Hosea chapter 1, Hosea 1 4 and Hosea 4 1. Uh, Hosea 1.4, And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fish of the sea also shall be taken away. Uh, this is just a horrible thing going on. I mean, just murdering innocent people. Jehu establishes his kingdom by killing King Joram uh, at Jezreel. And God would judge him. Jezreel means God scatters. And God would scatter the northern kingdom. And as they would have in just a few years after this, they would go into captivity. Year 722 B.C., Israel, the ten northern kingdoms, would be invaded by Assyria. Jehu's great-great-grandson, Zechariah, reigned only six months. He was assassinated by Shalom, who only reigned one month. We find, as these kings go on, their king, many of their reigns get shorter and shorter. We find that God promised him four generations, but some only reigned a very, very short time. I mean, Jehu was a man that was chastened the Lord by Syria. That God would come in and the tribes east of the Jordan River. Remember that? Manasseh and uh, Gilead, and, or half of Manasseh, Gilead, and there's one other tribe. But the two, tri- two and a half tribes east of the Jordan River were taken by Syria. So Jehu lost some more ground. He was effective as a soldier. I mean, Jehu was a military leader. He was a politician. He was a strong leader. He wasn't a godly leader, but he was a strong leader. And people followed him. And he could have assembled a great group of gifted men, but he murdered many of the men of the kingdom. Now you come to 2 Kings chapter 11. 
coming back here, there's some retaliation that is in store. And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, remember Jehu killed Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. Ahaziah was king of Judah. Judah has the lineage to Jesus Christ, from David to Jesus Christ. So in essence, what she's, not in essence, in fact, what she's trying to do is ruin the Davidic dynasty, David's dynasty, the messianic lineage to Jesus Christ. She wants to wipe them all out. Athaliah was a wicked woman. Verse 2, But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons, which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her, hid in the house of the Lord six years. And Athaliah did reign over the land. So we now move to the southern kingdom. The throne was empty. Ahaziah was killed by Jehu. Athaliah, she takes over. She says, hey, I want power. I'm going to get the power. I'm going to murder all of all the lineage here. I don't need any kings. I can be the queen instead. You know, it's amazing what power does in someone's mind. You get all this power and people believe they can do things that are completely unethical, immoral. Second Chronicles uh, 21.4, Now when Jehoram has risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and diverse also the princes of Israel. We find this at other times in Israel's history of killing the siblings because there's a rival to the throne. And we have that even today. King, uh, Kim Jong-un, once he's killed, he killed his half-brother, uh, and there's others that have been killed. There's other leaders throughout history that have murdered their siblings because they fear their siblings will, will try to kill them and usurp them. You see, when we try to do it out of God's way, there's a lot of fear. You're always fearing, I could lose my position, I could lose my power, and the idols that people are serving never give the protection that you can have if you just follow God's ways. You might see this in other countries of the world where one leader you know, is killed by another and there's all this political unrest. We see that in some of the nations of the world today. Jehu had killed some of David's descendants and Athaliah now had ordered all of them to be wiped out. So Satan is using the pride of Jehu, the pride of Athaliah, to try his best to murder the Messianic dynasty. It's down to one man in history. It's pretty amazing, but God's promises are true. The Messianic prophecies are true. And Satan may try his best, but he can never thwart. Now, in this very thing of Athaliah, to return evil for good is demonic. To return good for evil, <laughs> you know, is godlike. 
And to return evil for evil and good for good is our human nature oftentimes. You know, when there's conflict in our world today, there's many times a desire for retaliation. You hurt me, I will get even. Sometimes nations will fight each other to protect their honor of retaliation. Now, most of us don't go to the extreme in paying back our enemy uh, of a revenge by slaying them. Most of us don't do that. Do you realize in Leviticus chapter 19, God promised and God gave the principle to not practice revenge? Look with me at Leviticus chapter 19. I mean, Athaliah was also really angry, you know, of her son being killed. Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verse 18. Solomon would give the same counsel in Proverbs, but Leviticus 19, 18, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. God says there is no room for bitterness. There's no room for unforgiveness. Proverbs 20, 22, Solomon wrote, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Let's look with me at Romans chapter 12, on this very idea, again, of this revenge. And it's that storing up of the hurt that someone else perpetrated against me and I need them to hurt as much as I hurt. That is a seeking of revenge. That's retaliation. And maybe Athaliah was just so angry with all the politics, she said, I'm going to wipe them all out. So I don't have to deal with this again. I've lost one son. I'm done with this. But the fact is, I mean, Jehu went far beyond, and here she is, an idolatrous woman. And she wants heads to roll. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth, and you live peaceably with all men, dearly beloved. Now he's talking to believers, much like Leviticus 19, he's talking to Israel. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place into wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, many times, a lot of the revenge that is sought is within a church. Someone hurts me, I'm going to get even. But I'm not going to forgive. Well, that's ungodly. It's demonic. First Peter 3. Uh, verse 8, finally, let's look with me, 1 Peter 3, 8. <clears throat> finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. He said, you get a blessing by not being revengeful. Planning and executing revenge is far more 
to you than it does to the victim you seek to get. A Jewish proverb says this, in quotes, the smallest revenge will poison the soul. If you are now going on from that, quote, if you're choosing to pay back an enemy, choose a good one. Because paying back an enemy is very expensive. We have here, as she is seeking revenge, destroying the seed royal. I mean, she does, she's, she's an evil woman. But something happens. Look with me at verse 4 of 2 Kings 11. And the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guards and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, saying, This is the thing that ye shall do. A third part of you that enter in on the Sabbath shall even be keepers of the watch of the king's house. And a third part shall be at the gate of Sir, and a third part at the gate behind the guard. So shall ye keep the watch of the house, that it be not broken down. And two parts of all you that go forth on the Sabbath, even they shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord about the king. And ye shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand. And he that uh, cometh within the ranges, let him be slain, and be ye with the king. As he goeth out, as he cometh in, they don't want this king to be slain. So they guard him with their life. And the captains over the hundreds did according to all things that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they took every man his men that were to come in on the Sabbath with them that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the captains over hundreds did the priest give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. And the guard stood every man with his weapon in his hand, weapons in his hand, round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple, along by the altar in the temple. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony, and they made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manor was, and the princess and the trumpeters by the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. And Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. Something happens. When she kills all of these remnant, all of the inheritance, all the heirs to the throne, there is a godly remnant. There is a priest, Jehoiada, who saw fit to go against the queen and protect this king. He understood God. He understood what was right, and he protects this young boy. He understood God's promises. He risked his life. Not only he was a godly man, and he rallied men around him, captains of hundreds, to protect a single boy. Is it really significant that a little boy would be protected? There's many other options for many other boys in Judah. But there's not one that would fulfill the Davidic dynasty. It's important, and God saw fit, that his promise to David would be kept. God was still on the throne. 
There was a world controlled by deceit, selfish ambition. There are people like Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat who have faith in God's word and they follow it. And they risk their lives. They go into that temple and as they get these captains over hundreds, they rally the people around what is right in an era when there is much wickedness. Because any one of those soldiers could have taken word to other soldiers that protected the queen. They could have uh, ratted them out. They could have spied them out and told, and he could have been in greater jeopardy. But God was true to his promise. What Athaliah planned to do, the priests and the princes stole one-year-old Joash from the royal nursery, protecting him until such time as he as a young boy would be crowned a king. Until he would just play it long. As he's growing up, he could just be mingle in with the other children and no one would know who he was. But in order to bring about Joash to the crown took years. It wasn't just some immediate thing. Well, we've got a one-year-old, we're going to put a crown on a little baby. Well, that's kind of silly. And, and, and they didn't try to assume the reign, saying, I'll turn it over. Seven years, this wicked woman was in power. Six years, excuse me. And you find in this, there's a presentation of Joash out of the nursery. You know, sometimes faith and patience go together, waiting for God's timing. Hebrews 6.12, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The very promises of God are not immediate. They're not a slot machine. It's random chance on that anyways. <clears throat> They're not a fast food restaurant. You see, it's kind of like slowly, it's kind of like, you know, taking steaks and let them slowly marinate and then you cook them up slowly and they just taste wonderful and fall off the bone. and Amazing, it takes time. Promises of God. Isaiah 28, 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a found, for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He's not going to hurry. And over these years, as this boy, God watched in his providence over this young child. If the queen had known what they were doing, she would have searched and killed these men as well. This guy had to wait six years. He thought and prayed. And finally, when God told him, take, him, take her off the throne, he did. Take Athaliah off of where she should not be. He calls the two officers in charge of the temple guard, presented the king to them, and had them take an oath to obey his orders. What he's doing is 
treason against her. Now, she was very treasonous. She, I mean, she came in and just wiped out all of those who were rightful heirs and, and appointed herself whom God had not appointed. So he wants to make sure that these two men are on his side. You know, oftentimes before you can make progress, you need people that you can unite together with and move forward. And so he sent throughout all the kingdom of Judah to order the Levites living away from Jerusalem to come back. And on a certain specific Sabbath day, Joash will be crowned. The five officers each commanded 100 men. So they have 500 men. Now, on a particular day, two companies would ordinarily be on duty. So you'd have about 200 men. But they would have all of these men on guard... So here's how it goes. Two companies would ordinarily be on the duty day and be replaced on the Sabbath day. But on this particular Sabbath day, they would remain on duty and guard the king. A fourth company was assigned to the gate Sir, the foundation gate, led from the nearby palace to the temple area. The fifth company assembled at the gate behind the guardhouse, a normal place for the temple guards to gather. So as they're looking, and, and the way he planned it with all these guards and everything, some of the guards were inside, so people outside aren't going to see what's going on. And so he has, the way he's maneuvering all of these five companies is to make it look so the outsiders don't necessarily know what's going on. They would have no reason to believe something monumental is happening. The, the, even in David, uh, some of his weapons were used. The high priest distributed to the men weapons that David had confiscated in his many battles. And guards protected David's own heir with those weapons. David purchased the property on which the temple stood. David provided the wealth. So David not only served his own generation, but he would serve others. But these very weapons of David were now used to protect one of his heirs. They bring out this seven-year-old little boy and they put the crown on his head and gave him a copy of the law of God that he was to obey. Remember, every king was supposed to write out the law. It was so important that the book, the Bible, well, we didn't have all the 66 books at that time, obviously, but the scriptures of that time were to continually be upon the minds of the kings and the government. In Deuteronomy 17, 12, And the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that standeth and minister there before the Lord thy God, or unto the judge, even that man shall die, and thou shalt put away the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and do, more, and do no more presumptuously. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are round about me, that are about me. And then Deuteronomy 31, 26, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against thee. Again, Jehoiada puts a crown on Joash's head, gives him a copy of the law that he was to obey. The high priest anointed him, let the king live! Everyone cries out. They're excited. And then, in this very coronation, 
of King Joash is God's promises continually fulfilled. One of David's descendants was on the throne. Then in verse 13 of 2 Kings chapter 11, picking up where we left off, 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 13, she cries treason, verse 14, verse 15. But Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the host, and said unto them, Have her forth without the ranges, and him that followeth her kill with the sword. For the priest had said, Let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. And they laid hands on her. And she went by the way which the horses came into the king's house, and there was she slain. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people between the king also and the people. And all the people of the land went into the house of Baal and break it down, his altars and his images, break they in pieces thoroughly, and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And he took the rulers over hundreds and the captains and the guard and all the people of the land. And they brought down the king from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate of the guard to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the kings. And all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was in quiet And they slew Athaliah with the sword beside the king's house. Seven years old was Jehoash when he began to reign. The very murder that she had tried to do of all the king's sons had came back upon her. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God executed judgment. And he also said here, this priest, Jehoiada, he said, anyone that follows her, I want you to kill them too. He says, the very fact is, anyone that wants to follow her does not understand God's rightful man. They don't understand the one that God has appointed. She is trapped. There's nothing she can do. So she cries out, treason. The worst thing that she, the only defense she has is her words. And no one listens. And the dedication of the people, they had given a holy covenant to the king, verse 17. Made a covenant, Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. That they should be the Lord's people. I mean, this priest realizes our land's in a mess. There is this preacher, this priest, Jehoiada. He says, we need and make a covenant with God that we will be his people. We're not Baal's people. We're not pagan people. We're God's people. It's God's covenant. We were under the Abrahamic covenant. We're under the Mosaic covenant. We're God's people. We're going to get back to what we're supposed to be. Israel was a theocracy and God was the king. And the king ruled as one of God's representatives. And the people obeyed the king as they would obey the Lord. The law of Israel was the law of the Lord. The word of God at that time with what they had was their rule for faith and practice. Or supposed to be. It was a covenant nation. There on Mount Sinai, when Moses was given the Ten Commandments and they made a promise that they would serve the Lord the rest of their days. No other nation on the earth had the same relationship with God. There's an elimination, verses 18 through 21, of the house of Baal. I mean, God's doing something here in one of the darkest of days. When it seems like the light of David's dynasty is over. There's one man. Jehoiada that says, I'm going to do right. I'm going to follow God. 
Joash is the king. He's too young to be sent to the throne, but I'm going to do right. I know what God's promised. You see, God gives us, God's men, at right times to get us on track, to keep us moving forward at times where life seems bleak and impossible. Athaliah was a compromiser. Her husband Jehoram and their son Ahaziah and the country of Judah and the nation of Judah had been infected with idolatry. What a joy. Notice with me that the people, in verse 20, and all the people of the land rejoiced. It follows true with what Proverbs talks about when there's a wicked ruler, the people mourn. Much like we have in our nation today, here in Canada and the States, Wicked rulers, and people mourn, and people are upset, and people are anxious and fearful and worrisome, and you name it. The people rejoice because they get back to the light that God's promises still are true. David's line, the promise to David, is still evident to them. The people had done the will of God, they had obeyed it, and they rejoiced. Do you realize this, that there is a joy when we do what we're supposed to do for the Lord? And sometimes you might go through some very dark days. But man, when God gives that light, that my promise is still true, my friend, we can rejoice. There's an organization of the temple ministry in verse 18, in the end of verse 18, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. He says, listen, we need to get God's house back in order. You see, God has told us how to do church. He's told us in the very method of doing it, the means, the principles, the doctrine. God has given us what is right. We've got to get back to the foundation of what is proper. And Jehoiada the priest, man, this guy is brave. Jehoiada, for six years, has to hide out this little boy. He has to rally the people to follow him, believing that he's doing what God wants him to do, so they take it by faith. They have to go into the temple and have people follow him. And as a result of following the priest Jehoiada, a godly man, their joy, is replaced, their joy is restored. It was important that they offer the daily sacrifices, important that the house of the Lord was operated the way God said it should operate. Revival in our lives, obeying God's word and doing what he has commanded our fathers to do. We don't need the novelties of the present. We don't need the realities of the past. You know, when God began to restore true worship here in Jerusalem, in Judah, he starts with a dedicated couple of Jehoiada and his wife, Jehoshaphat. One couple in a very wicked place. For six years, laboring and waiting for God's promises to come to fruition. It's a long time to wait. They enlisted the nurses who cared for Joash. Four of them. 
for six years. They enlisted five military captains to follow. And these captains would have their men follow them. The scattered priests, the Levites, and the people of the land came together as one to honor the Lord and obey his word. Sin was purged. God's will was accomplished. God's will and promises came true, as they always do. God could do it then. God's promises still hold true today. This book is still true. And what we've got to be willing to do is follow the leadership that God has put in our lives and follow God through the Word of God, the leadership that God's given. And you know what? When we are obedient, we will see joy returned. It's about following God. The question is, ultimately, of faith and trust. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity from the Word of God that we have to once again be reminded of the promises of God that always come true. And Satan tries with all his might to destroy. And it looks like he wins so many times. But Lord, your promises hold true. Jesus, I love you. And I pray as we come to the morning hour that you would be exalted and glorified. Father, you take over. You're our God. And my heart's desire today is that each and every one of us would be all that you've called us to be. And Lord, that we would see the promises of you fulfilled in our lives. And Father, that we would be victorious Christians living in a state of revival, living in a state of healthy Christianity. And so God, I love you. We need your help. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.